welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fregel Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. I'm very pleased today to welcome Anne Bowie to the podcast. Anne is Vice President of Benetech Labs. She's a seasoned nonprofit leader with expertise building scalable software for social good solutions. At Benetech, Anne is responsible for leading Benetech Labs R&D work, engaging with other communities, technologists and nonprofits around critical social issues to prototype new software solutions. Thank you very much, Anne, for taking the time today to join me on Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So I'm a big fan of Benetech, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you about Benetech Labs, the work that you do, your role, and some of the exciting projects that you've got uh, ahead. Um, so, I mean, can you maybe just start a little bit and talk, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got started in the tech for good space Sure. Uh, so I took a rather circuitous route to Tech for Good. I think the for good part was uh, really came naturally to me just because of my own background. Um, you know, I came to this country with my family as refugees, so we've always been really profoundly grateful for the opportunities that we as a family have been given, and, and I've been grateful for the opportunities that I've been given in this, under the circumstances. And, and so working in the for good space really comes from a place of gratitude, right? It has... You know, I've always had that ambition to to help others uh, and to to do that in highly impactful ways, and that's something that's really been ingrained in me for a long time. The the tech part is the circuitous part. Um, you know, uh, I, I grew up, uh, you know, with an engineer dad who's and my parents ran a small, very small business selling PCs. So I've always been around computers, but it was not my, you know, my first love. Um, and, you know, I really. Uh, I actually ended up taking a path through journalism and then ended up getting a doctorate in the humanities. Um, and it was really there that I come, came back to technology and kind of looking at first digital humanities and applying technology to, to analyze text, create art, uh, you know, really looking at how technology can illuminate and express the, the human condition in really profound ways. Um, and then I also spent time um, you know, one of the most important experiences I had as a graduate student was really traveling through places like Louisiana and Minnesota and recording oral histories of Southeast Asian refugee women. And it, and it's really then I really began to think through how technology could be applied to improve um, and not just eliminate the human condition. And, and so, uh, you know, for those particularly who are the most vulnerable and least privileged among us. And um, so my career kind of went from that digital humanities to uh, uh, digital nonprofit work in scientific research um, and publishing. And then, and here we are now at Benetech. Doing software <laughs> great, great. So can you talk a little bit about what Benetech Labs does and where, where it fits in and in, in, in Benetech and, and, and some of the projects maybe that you, you've got you, at the moment? Sure. So, um, I think it might be helpful first to just do a, a quick overview of Benetech itself, and then we can talk about where the labs fits into that. Um, so Benetech is a software for good nonprofit. That is, that you know, our mission is to empower communities with software for good, and we really go where markets traditionally fail. Um, 
Uh, that's actually one of the criteria for the places that we go. Um, so where markets would fail, but where technology can still really be a big leader for change. Um, so uh, Benetech Labs um, is the R&D arm of Benetech. So uh, we, while much of Benetech is focused on operationalizing and, and, and you know, working on products that are at scale, Benetech Labs is where we really do the prototyping and experimenting, um, looking for high-impact products that we think will be the next thing for Benetech to take to scale. Um, and we do that through uh, a couple of uh, really important lenses. Uh, and one of those is that uh, inherent in the idea of scale is also the idea of communities. So we do something that we consider uh, ecosystem engagement. Um, we can talk about that a little bit later if you like. Um, and you know, we, we do it through the lens of uh, system change, right? So it's not just about product, but it's also about how that product plays a role in creating a larger system change in, a, in an ecosystem. Great, great. So, and I, I'm just slightly picking up a kind of reverb, some strange sound there, and I'm just wondering um, mm -hmm. what w we can do. Um, maybe, yeah, you, you're, you're quite close to the computer now. Um, I'm very close. I may, you know what, there may be a hum in my office, so let me want to step out of my office to a different room. Sure, sure, that's absolutely fine. We've got, yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks. And, okay, let me try that. Yeah. Bear with me. Yeah. Let's see if it gets any better. Is this space any better? Yes. Yes? Okay. It's a lot better. Let me turn on a light. <laughs> Put up a do not disturb sign. Okay. Um, all right. So R does that still sound better? Yes, definitely. Great. Okay. Definitely. Um, now, um, where were we there? We were talking about uh, Benetech Labs. Um, Okay, um, so um, yes. So, can you tell me how how do you actually identify uh, the, the projects of interest, and what are some of the factors that you take into account? How do you evaluate uh, which pro projects look the most interesting? And can you talk a little bit, I guess, inherent in that, that how you uh, think about impact. Sure. So the the. We evaluate the projects that come in. Um, well, let me start first by saying where they come from. You know, we, we get ideas from a whole variety of places. Um, and by ideas, I mean just not just solution ideas, but also problem areas that, that um, we think may truly benefit from the application of technology. Um, uh, and we get those uh, from you know, engagements with the communities that we are really deeply involved in, um, discussions with peer organizations, discusses, discussions with funders, discussions with uh, uh, just others in the broader ecosystem that we, we occupy. Um, so we, we, there's never a shortage of ideas. Um, and then we, we think through them um, with a, we have a rubric uh, that we apply, which is a 15-point rubric, which sounds like it is a, is a heavy instrument, but in fact is really just a, a way for us to think through all of the components of an idea before we decide whether we should invest a little more time into it. Um, and that ranges um, 
from everything uh, uh, from you know just a general evaluation of impact um, to you know mission fit, uh, fundability and sustainability. Whether there's an exit strategy, whether we have the right internal champion, uh, whether there's a community that we uh, can access and 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 be able to leverage. Um, there's just a range of uh, uh, components that we need to address. Um, and those are all weighted. And then we score the ideas. Yes, right. And, and this, the score is not meant to be the end-all, be-all say of whether or not we would invest in something. or, But it, it, it gives us a, a way of thinking through and comparing those ideas. Right, right. Now, I, I think very often we tend to think of, you know, technology as a silver bullet, you know, new technology, it has this amazing potential, you know, we're used to uh, shiny, bright, shiny objects that arrive and, you know, new technologies or whether it's Instagram or, or you know, that, uh, things like that, just that, that suddenly are there and, you know, change our lives. Presumably, uh, here we're talking it's 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 these are technologies which are applied to as you say particular problem areas and they need they need to be in a certain context a certain environment and it's a lot about people absolutely i couldn't have said it better it's a lot about people and you know i like to say that technology is really 20 percent of the problem right that that in fact uh, it is the means to the end and that uh, when we think about a problem we're we're the, the technology solution is only a component. Um, and, and and this, I think, is actually something that's important to think about and as we think about the tech for good sector, generally speaking. Um, you know, tech is so ubiquitous now. And, and we joke around here that we should sort of drop the tech, for, tech part of tech for good because really it's for good and tech is so ubiquitous, ubiquitous that it's part of the formula in almost every case. Um, and and that's, a, that's an important trend. And, you know, I think... When we started labs, um, which is approximately three years ago, what we were really doing was instantiating a process that Benetech had had for a while and really just formalizing it. And then we saw and have seen more of these labs crop up in nonprofit settings and civil society organizations, um, organizations that would never have traditionally said that they were software organizations or technology organizations, but who found themselves now facing the reality of wanting to uh, and in some cases needing to build and maintain technology. Um, and uh, that I think is, a, is an, important, um, an important trend to pay attention to because it means that the, the way that, you, that we, we as a community support each other and are supported uh, needs to change. Absolutely. And technology is, uh, I used to say, pervasive, but it's certainly in the headlines at the moment. And the big technology companies are coming in for a lot of criticism, a lot of questions being asked about, um, you know, how they operate, the data, the fact that, you know, that, that, that all these free, free services we get actually do come with a price. And the question about, I guess, who, who, who benefits from these systems ultimately in the sense that, you know, uh, under one uh, perspective, you can see that, you know, a, a small group of investors from Silicon Valley, maybe. Um, and yet these are massive platforms with, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of users in, in many cases. Um, so I guess it's important to be able to talk about uh, situations where technology is is really making a difference and really making the world a better place. I'm just wondering whether one or two technologies that you've worked with that you th- you'd like to talk about. Well, you re- 
raised such an interesting point, and you know, I think it's it's really worth emphasizing that point that that you know the flip side of that tech ubiquity is the the increasing suspicion of tech, right? Particularly in the last year or so, where issues of privacy, security, the issues of how that tech is implemented, who makes those decisions, um, and the you know, understanding the implications and ramifications of that application are are you know in the headlines. Um, so it's important for us to really think about the ethics of tech, um, and I think it's not uh, something that we think about enough. Um, um, I'm reminded of a really interesting moment here in the Valley where uh, there was a there was a there was a startup company that went came under fire for, as you can imagine, all kinds of unethical behavior and. And there was a there was a uh, a blog post that was uh, that made the rounds that said you know there was a time when software developers um, were when software developers were required who who took a four year degree in computer science were required to take a course on on ethics or required to to look on ethics and I thought about that and I said you know and I talked to all the the software developers I know and of course none of them had taken that course. And this blog post was sort of pointing to the boom in the production of um, tech workers uh, uh, through things like, you know, uh, boot camps and saying, well, you know, we really should talk about tech ethics in those boot camps. And I said, great. But there, if, if there's a myth out there that the ethics has been taught as part of a four-year university uh, approach, a sort of traditional approach, um, that myth should be shattered as well. Um, so, so yes, uh, I, I, that's something that's really important, I think, as a sector for us to, to think about it to a person. Um, and I do think I, that there are places that are doing really great work um, uh, in thinking about um, uh, uh, how we impact the communities that we are in um, with, with technology. So digital democracy type organizations that are that 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 go in and help communities with their data but then turn that data over to those communities um, to use as they will and and are more additive than they are extractive extractive yes yes they talk about these platform um technologies and the fact that in a sense um the people who contribute the data and, can, and are part of that system in a sense should under should be beneficiaries of that as well you know that this that that idea uh seems to be a, an important one it, it's, it's 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 a very uh interesting uh question at the moment really and uh it, it's interesting i'm i'm also interested in the uh, connection or the how you see for-profit and not-for-profit in in the technology sector um because i've become increasingly aware i guess of the possibilities of um non-profit technology solutions and some of the challenges the very particular challenges they have um trying to uh, raise money and grow really yeah yeah well you know um when i think about the for-profit for good space, you know, I think about impact investing and impact investing as is going through a really interesting soul searching period right now. Um, and I think it's coming to terms with things that the nonprofit side uh, has, has, you know, always had struggled with. And that, that is, you know, thinking about expectations of capital, thinking about um, 
longitudinal impact, thinking about patient capital, um, about, you know, really uh, what kind of return can you really expect? And then how do you measure that impact versus dollars, right? And I think that's a, that is a that is a an ongoing struggle. Um, and, and again, I'll you know I'll, I'll raise that idea of this spectrum of social entrepreneurship that, that I've been thinking about and that that I you know I've been reading about, which really looks at additive versus extractive uh, uh, approaches to to uh, social entrepreneurship. Um, where, you know, I think we have to think about uh, where I, th- I think the nonprofits can be much more on that additive side, and because they they just are structured to be that way. Yes, um, so. yes, yes. And how do your projects? What happens when you, you like a project? You think it's got great potential. What happens then, Anne? So when a project has great potential, um, we we. We, each project goes through a, a, a number of stages, um, and at any time you can drop in and out of stage or progress. And the idea is there's an exploratory stage where we're really exploring with the community, doing need finding, some of that design thinking work. Uh, then we move on to prototyping, uh, and we're testing, and then we're iterating. And at any point, you know, we can come back and evaluate and say, how's this going? Um, and we're trying to get better uh, about being very uh quantitative about that evaluation and you know, providing KPIs at each step of the way to say, yes, this is something that we should continue investing in. Um, um, I, you know, I'll make one other comment, and this might actually get back to an earlier question you had that I want to make sure that, that we, we get to talk about, which is the stuff, the stuff that I'm really excited about, some of the projects we're doing in labs. Um, and, and, and that is, you know, we, we talked about, you know, tech in in the nonprofit sector, tech for good, uh, tech for civil society, that these, that because it is so ubiquitous and because it is so pervasive, uh, that there are supports that need to be put into place. So um, we think a lot about infrastructure. I mean, that's that's you know where where technology really is a leader for scale. It's really about infrastructure. Um, and right, uh, so what does that mean on infrastructure? So for us, so one of the most, so uh, some of the projects we're most interested in are ones that that provide scaffolding for other organizations to do the good work that they do. Yes. Um, um, So for instance, uh, a lot of the things that we think about right now within labs really fall under this rubric of what I could consider data collaboration. So, you know, I mentioned earlier how, you know, we feel it's important for us to engage in ecosystems and to really think about system change, not just about product development. And uh, that means uh, that one of the things that we have seen again and again and again is that in order to support organizations, particularly smaller organizations that are doing great work, we have to provide some scaffolding for them to collaborate with each other, to bring collective impact to the fore, because at any individual organization um, may not be able to see the role they play in the larger collective impact, which is really what we're all after. Um, and so, for instance, one of the, the projects that I'm really excited about and has got a lot of momentum right now is uh, something that we're calling ServiceNet, which is a project to really allow organizations that provide services to uh, people who need them, who provide social services, health and human services, and organizations provide referrals to those services, that really are the intermediaries that connect someone to those services, give them 
uh, the opportunity to, to collaborate on their data about their services so that those services are more uh, visible to everyone. And we can talk about that in more depth if you like. Yes, it's very interesting you, you say that. Um, and um, I've spoken to uh, several social entrepreneurs over the years involved in these kinds of uh, technologies, which are, you know, uh, foundational and, 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 and extremely important. And they have noted the challenge raising capital for these kind of projects, that the way the impact uh, investment market, the way investors look at things, it's quite hard to be able to point to the kind of benefits the kind of impact and the kind of returns that they would understand when you're actually supporting an ecosystem in that way absolutely i i I, yes uh you know we all have theories of change but when your theory of change goes through uh, a community so that you are basically amplifying another organization's work uh, measuring outcome becomes that much harder um, so while we believe very strongly in technology as a scaler because it can provide that, that scaffolding for those communities to do more, uh, it puts an additional burden on that impact measurement process. Um, so it, it, it just becomes exponentially harder. Um, yes, which yes. Exponentially more difficult to find funding. And, you know, you mentioned earlier kind of the shiny technology uh, effect, right? Um and even though there's suspicion about technology, you know, we, we have found in the in the funding on the funding side, um, there's still that desire for the shiny bauble um, versus the kind of more boring but highly impactful, you know, plumbing that goes underneath the house, right? So um, it, it's it is it is a struggle. Yes, yes. It's interesting that uh, in the Financial Times today, there's an article which says, why can't San Francisco's tech culture solve the city's social problems? <laughs> which talks to, to this point. It's a very interesting um, one. How would you characterize the lay of the land at the moment in terms of the kinds of projects? I hear that funding funding challenge for every social entrepreneur um, I, I I understand that it's 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 a difficult time at the moment for tech for good, particularly in the for nonprofits. Uh, maybe you're you're seeing the the projects, I guess, uh, you know, in terms of their technology and potential, maybe less in terms of the funding. But I'm just wondering, are there one or two things you could say to characterize how you see the market at the moment? Um. Yeah, so I mean, we talked about this a little bit already, and and um, I think that um, I feel like we're at an inflection point, um, and that inflection point really comes down to uh, understanding the the way that funding. Um, so what's the best way to put this? Understanding the way that funding has to be. Uh, has to account for the challenges of social sector issues. So that 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 means again more patient capital, more uh, long term investments, yes. more yes. stepping back and understanding how to how to balance ROI um, from in a, in a really financial sense um, against uh, quantitative and qualitative impact. Um, I think that you know there's. We've had centuries of being able to calculate ROI, right? And um, but not very long 
in really thinking through how we can comparably measure impact. Um, and it's, uh, that means that funders are in as difficult a position as, as, um, as, as uh, uh, entrepreneurs. And then I also say that, you know, I think in the Valley, we have funders who are particularly adept at understanding technology, but the philanthropic sector, I still, I think is still making its way as well. The same way that we see civil society moving toward adopting and building more tech itself, um, uh, we see funders having to grapple with understanding how to uh, think about those investments themselves. Um, And that's, that's not easy to do. Yes, yes. And uh, clearly, you know, measurement of impact is terribly important. As you say, we're, we're, we're pretty good at measuring ROI and looking at the financial side of things. And I can see how a, you know, a very financially oriented type investor might ask questions that you just can't answer. And therefore, this means that certain kinds of projects just are getting neglected. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And part of part of the, the challenge there is that not every a type of project product um, uh, can be measured in the same way, right? So, so you have uh, educational projects that we work in, where you you know you might have a, a base metric of how many students have you reached, right? That's a that's an output metric, and then there's the outcome metric of what did you actually improve their outcomes, and that's. Um, uh, you know that's very different from say uh, a, a metric around um, around farming and and agriculture and economic development, right? Um, and so uh, I, I think that um, we have to recognize those differences and be willing to say sometimes we can't compare apples to apples, and we also have to uh, be able to balance that. Uh, you know, I mentioned qualitative and quantitative information and uh, and and we have to also be able to equip um, social entrepreneurs and nonprofits with the capacity to provide the data that we're looking for so it's it's not it's not a it's not possible to to uh, fund an organization expect them to measure impact and then only fund the intervention and not the measurement itself I'm not sure what you mean there sorry Anne so in other words, um, you know, we might, uh, you, know, you might have a, an investor that says, you know, I'd like to, to, um, to fund uh, your intervention in preschools. Um, you know, there's, a, there's, there's more students that you're going to put through preschool. Um, but then I also want to know, uh, what does that do to the lives of, of those families in five years down the line? We have to fund that uh, measurement as well if that's the end goal that you're trying to get to and and very often I think we are left to kind of make the the organizations uh, themselves figure out how to do that measurement without giving them the support both the, the funding and also the the support in in learning um, the the processes of impact measurement yes yes absolutely uh, and what kinds of sums of money are involved on so when you when projects come to you when you hear of projects how, 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 how do you typically structure that and what kinds of sums of money are involved? So, you know, I, we, we look at very, 
we try to find ways to, to engage in projects for very small amounts of money first, right? So, you know, the five-figure explorations um, that allow us to both fund our uh, experimentation, study, research, conversation, convening, um, and also in some cases, uh, you know, helping partners because we are trying to work in a very collaborative way. Partners um, participate as well. Um, and then, you know, once we feel like there's a there there, that's where uh, we then say, okay, what does it take to to uh, invest uh, some actual design and prototyping resources into a project um, and to, to, to run the, the kinds of pilot tests that we need to run to learn what we need to learn in order to make a determination about whether to go forward. And and that is, you know, then now we're in the six-figure kind of uh, uh, arena. Um when I, when I look around the space at Comparable Labs um, and look at what folks are investing, Comparable Labs and I should say Tech for Good Startups, and look at what folks are investing um, uh, in that sort of mid, mid-tier uh, space, um, then we're looking you know, at, the, at one, two, three million dollars a year to really dig into something and then prepare it for scale. Yes, yes, scale, very interesting topic. And uh, one, I suppose, what one's natural instinct or natural way of thinking about technology, I guess, tends to, 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 to lean towards technology is scalable and that it's easily scalable in a way that, you know, you set things up and if, if you know, that, that once you get the, the heart of it right, that you can just roll this technology out. What, what, what are some of the issues in scaling in the social sector? Well, if you believe as we do that, you know, technology is a lever for scale, but it is not the only determinant of scale. And you believe that communities and engaging with communities, engaging with ecosystems is an important way that you make system change, then some of those challenges are that technology will only take you so far, right? That that at the end of the day, having people on the ground, building community, convening, talking to people, training, operationalizing uh, in ways that um, can be helped by technology, but can't be done entirely by technology. Um, those are important things to think about. So I think one of the big benefits of being a lab within a, an organization like Benetech is that, you know, we've been there, right? So so our, our, our flagship product at Benetech, Bookshare, which has served more than 10 million, uh, you know, it's the world's largest library of accessible books for people with disabilities, uh, such as blindness and severe dyslexia, et cetera. And it served more than 10 million books to more than half a million people. Um, but that's not just because the platform scales, though it does, it's also because uh, we have strong customer support and training and uh, community folks who are out there uh, amplifying uh, its use and amplifying the message of its importance. Um, and so uh, when we think about scale, absolutely, we have to think about some of these uh, other factors as well. Yes, the people, people, they get in the way. They're everywhere. <laughs> now, I'm interested in, in, in you, you, you talk about ecosystems and, and also about system change. And I've talked to many social entrepreneurs who over their, their, the life cycle of their projects have gone uh, from their own project to a broader, more systemic 
perspective uh, necessarily uh, engaging at different levels engaging sometimes with the government uh, in developing countries um, in the education sector and things like that can you talk a little bit about um, you know ecosystems and what and, and, and what 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 you think is important uh, about working there yeah so you know we in Silicon Valley we, we talk a lot about human-centered design right and talk a lot about solving problems by going to the person with the problem and really understanding them and their behavior and what would work for them. Um, and, but when we, when we, and system, and human-centered design is, is, you know, a, an excellent uh, process and something that we use as well. But when we look at the, the, the problem holistically, we have to engage not just with the end user, we have to engage with all of the folks that, that end user touches um, in order to understand not only what we can do for the end user, but what they can do as well so that we can move the, the, you know, the entire sector forward, not just improve our product. Um, so I'll give you an example. Um, in our work in, in accessibility for people with disabilities, uh, part of Benetech Labs is something called the Diagram Center, which is uh, focused on at improving accessible educational materials for students. Um, and we don't just build tools to make uh, uh, a, student's, a student with disabilities their experience more accessible. We actually go out to publishers and say, make your books more accessible, here's how. We go, we talk to Microsoft, to Google, to Mozilla and say, here's how you make your products more accessible, can you join us? Um, here's here's more information um, and if there's any way we can help, uh, you can help us. So um, we know that we're not the only technology that's gonna touch that person. And if, if, we, if we only uh, work and focus on our own technology, uh, there's no way we could have the resource to really uh, change that person's life as fundamentally as we would if we both built the product and engaged with the, the rest of the community. Um, so, you know, for, for something like um, ServiceNet, the project I explained earlier, um, what we're doing is saying, look, they, anybody who has a need uh, may go through a variety of different means to get at that need, right? So let's take an example. Um, we, we talk about here, you know, a, a persona we call Maria, who is a single mom, has two kids, a 10-year-old daughter, 17-year-old son, and she finds herself in need of shelter. Uh, she's recently lost their home. She finds herself in need of shelter one night, and she does what many of us do. She pulls out a smartphone and does a search. She comes up with a couple of shelters. Um, she calls the first one. It's 8 o'clock. It's too late. They're already full. She finds a second one, tries to call them. There's no, you know, the, there's no answer at that number. She says it's not too far away. She makes her way with her family to the shelter, finds out that um, they can't accept her. Um, and uh, fortunately, someone there happens to know of yet another shelter who they, they, they think is open. She makes her way there, finds out it is open, but they can't take her son because many shelters won't take uh, uh, a teenage boy over the age of 15. So now she's got to start all over again, where 
you know, a, a shelter that could have accepted her entire family might be available just over the county line. She just has no way of knowing that. Um, and she might, you know, she might have pulled out her phone. She might have called 211, which is our a system for, uh, 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 for getting uh, social services information. She might have called her, her church. Um, none of these folks may, may necessarily have the right piece of information to help her so that she doesn't have to make that big journey that night. Um, for, with, with ServiceNet, our goal is to build infrastructure so all of these organizations and all of these touch points that she has can have access to accurate, up-to-date information about what services are available so that they can make the connection on that people side um, and that they're not worrying about duplicatively and very expensively maintaining information that's really difficult to maintain. I could pull out my phone right now and tell you within 30 seconds where we could get a really good Vietnamese sandwich within a five-mile radius at a shop that's open and I could even tell you reviews about how good that is. I can't do the same if I need to find a shelter or a food bank, et cetera. Um, and, that, and fundamentally, that's a data problem, and it's one that's been solved. It's, a, it's an infrastructural data problem. We can solve that infrastructural data problem that allows the entire ecosystem to bloom. And it allows organizations that are on the front lines, whether they be healthcare providers or social workers or or as service referral providers, all of them to do, to have free up their resources to do a better job of meeting Maria where she's at so they don't have to worry about the underlying data structure. And so that's a, a way in which, again, the ecosystem, whether it be the county, the state health and human services agency, whether it be uh, uh, doctors uh, and healthcare providers uh, sector, the entire ecosystem can be involved in in solving an underlying issue that will improve the sector for everyone. Yes, that's a very good example and very interesting to see the different steps in the process. Is that something you, I suppose you could call uh, data for good? Because something that I've been coming across a little bit that in many situations that provision of basic data or and uh, putting together a, a a set of data about uh, in this case as you say uh, you know uh, uh, care centres and things like that. But that 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 is a kind of foundational step for many many other uh, processes within within uh, social change. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a, an important trend, data for good. And I would also, uh, and you know, in our particular flavor of it is, I think, data collaboration for good. Um, we we've heard a lot recently about open data, um, right? So that where governments and others um, can provide uh, open, transparent data um, uh, in order to increase civic engagement, in order to help people better understand uh, the, the, in, the, the environment that they operate in. Um, but, you know, I think the next, the next wave of this has really about ways, has to be about ways in which we collaborate on that data uh, and not just consume it. Well, I think that's very interesting, and and one of the my inspirations doing the podcast in the first place was, you know, seeing the degree to which people were solving uh, different problems, but has similar kinds of challenges, and um, to some extent had already covered the ground. And so, I think the idea of collaborative problem solving is a very important one. It tends to be the case that many 
I guess social entrepreneurs down at the cold face are so busy trying to solve their own problems, <laughs> which they have such a uh, uh, workload that it's quite difficult for them to have the bandwidth to, to reflect and to consider and to think about partnering or engaging and communicating with other, with other partners in, in, in the process. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to, you only have 24 hours a day, but, you know, we'd like to think that that, that engagement process will actually improve the rest of those 23 hours. Yes. Um, because no, it'll make yeah. them go. Yes, and has and and has um, le- le- leveraged, catalyzes across the, the sector, as you say, uh, bringing it bringing it together. Now, can you talk a little bit about the kind of skills and uh, requirements to be a tech for good social entrepreneur? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll say first that that um, any skill you need as an entrepreneur, you'll need in spades as a social entrepreneur for sure. Uh, so, all the things that you know, you have mentioned previously around persistence and, and fortitude and and, and um, vision and uh, uh, executionary capacity. All of those things uh, are necessary. Uh, the the additional inflections I think that come with uh, social entrepreneurship. You know, uh, uh, I'll say I have a particular lens which you've heard, which is is around this idea of system change and ecosystem engagement and really understand that complex problems, particularly complex problems where the market would fail, are problems that, that need these additional layers. And, and those are, you know, in the way that you listen and observe, right? So even when you disagree, you're absorbing. You know, you might be vigorously defending your position because you need to um, in order to, you know, secure your funding, but you can also be absorbing and understanding um at the same time, where the other person is coming from, whether it be an, an end user or a potential customer or a potential funder, um, that that listening and observational capacity is really important. Um, second, what I, I would say would be connecting dots, right? There's, that um, um, it's that's a twofold, the two-step process. One, you have to see all the dots that need connecting, right? You need to understand really complex systems very, very well. And then you need to know uh, how to connect those dots and then how and where those dots are failing to connect, finding those gaps, because those are the gaps to be addressed. Um, and you're going to find as you evaluate your business um, that those are, those gaps are the places where you know your highest risk is. Um, and it's not always easy to see them unless you step back and can see that entire forest for the trees. Um, and the third thing is, you know, goes hand in hand with that, you know, persistence and fortitude section, which is, I would say that, you know, fail fast is one of those mantras of Silicon Valley. You know, learn to fail fast, learn to fail fast. Um, and and the, the the flip side of that is, you learn to fail fast in order to succeed fast, right? To succeed quickly. Um, with the in in social entrepreneurship, I would say that you have to figure out how to fail fast. But in the face of really slow success, you may not know. Um, you know, whereas if you're a startup that's a for-profit startup, that's uh, you know, you may know within six months a year, you may have had a dozen failures and figured out, you know, whether or not you, you're you're going to go forward. You may not know that in six months to a year as a social entrepreneur, your your uh, uh, ability to read the tea leaves 
when they're that much farther away has to be that much better. Um, and that's, that's very challenging. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's a, um, a big requirement. And, um, it, it, I, and yet the, 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 the results and the impact um, are, are, are so tremendous. The possibilities are tremendous. Do, are you seeing more ideas, more uh, entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs in this space? Generally, just more? Yes. I, I do. And I... I and I think part of that is just because the the term social entrepreneur is broad enough and more people are laying claim to it. And I think that's that's actually a good thing, right? That, uh, that uh, particularly as we're seeing, again, the spectrum of organizations that, that you know, can be anything from a B Corp to, you know, a public benefit corporation to... Uh, to uh, you know, a full nonprofit. This whole spectrum of organizations are really taking up the mantle of for good, which is is great, um, and and can only help I think uh, accelerate the recognition for that need for infrastructure and impact measurement and all and all of those other factors that we've been talking about today. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and what are your aspirations for the future, Anne, for Benetech Labs? Um, so I have great, um, I'm really optimistic about some of the, the projects that we have are now working on. Um, you know, I, 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 I ServiceNet is, is on my mind because we are, we have so much momentum. Um, we, you know, we, we received recently funding from Kaiser Permanente. Uh, we are partnering with, uh, with the Open Referral Initiative, with United Way, with uh, counties and two on ones. We're just really excited about that project, and I think it's a reflection of where we want to be, which is um, on the cusp, and then moving into uh, where we can measure big impact at scale um, and have that impact at scale, and then also more collaboration, more models for community-driven social entrepreneurship, rethinking how funding flows so that those models for community-driven um, social entrepreneurship can, can flourish. Um, I, I think that's a future that's not too far away and one that I'm really excited about. Great, great. Well, I wish you the very best of success, Anne, with your projects and with Benetech Labs. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk about all the great work that you're doing today. Thank you. This was, this was a, a really enjoyable. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.